Will you pray with me before we, uh, before we jump into God's word this morning? Uh, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come and, uh, and to fill us, to uh, just, sort of, uh, just sort of trim away the things in our hearts that would distract us from, uh, from, from hearing your words to us this morning. Um, I'm so thankful that you gave us a general just message for, the, for everyone through the Bible. And I'm also thankful that we can come to you expecting a specific message um, just for us. You're just that amazing that you can give a broad message and you can be small enough to speak directly to us. And I, I thank you for that. I pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, that we would be ready to receive from you. So Holy Spirit, we just, uh, we ask you to come and we count on you to come and be the one that teaches us um, what it is we need to know today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing a series that, that George uh, started us out on um, last week. Last week? Yeah, last week. And uh, it's 2012, right? 2012? January? Okay. Um, this series is called Still Doing the Stuff. Now, the, the amazing thing is that this, this series that we're talking about is so very close to the foundation of what this church is about, okay? Now, one of the reasons that we sort of felt like, we, like God was calling us to start this church was because we wanted to just kind of look at what God's Word said, look at what Jesus actually said and what Jesus actually did, and dare to believe that God might be able to use us to plant a church that would simply do those things. Simply a church that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't say, okay, well, it's always been done this way. Or a church that would say, well, you can't question that because that's, you know, you just don't question those things. Or a church that would say, well, we have to because. But a church that would just say, okay, let's look at God's word Let's look at God's word and let's see if we can just do what it says. You see, over time in churches, over time, we as humans have added to what the Bible has to say. We've added things that didn't need to be there. We've added things and, and things that, uh, that, that are never even mentioned in the Bible. We've added them as if they were there. And so what we want to do is come back to the basics. And we're not the first in the world to do this, okay? But we, we believe that it's possible to be a church that gets back just to what does the text say. And let's do it. Let's say those things. Let's do those things. Let's not add to what is there. Now, this series is basically looking at the stuff that Jesus did and asking the question, why can't we be doing this stuff too? If he's out among the sick and the lame and the broken and the hurting and the outcast and he's touching them and healing them and loving them and setting them free, why can't we be doing that? If he modeled it for us, and he gave us his spirit to live inside of us, why can't we be doing that? And that's the whole theme of this entire series is looking at the stuff he did and then saying, 
Well, let's do it. Let's do the stuff. Now, last week, George's big idea was, was this. When sin is dealt with, resurrection can't be far behind. George is, is the lead pastor here. I keep saying George like everybody knows who he is. Um, George is the lead pastor here, and, and he gave the message last week. So his big idea was, look, when we deal with sin, when we deal with the junk in our lives, and we put it out in the light, and we allow it to be dealt with, then resurrection comes behind that. New life begins to happen. You see, j- just like mold, it, mold grows very well in a damp, dark, isolated place. But when light is introduced, then mold begins to lose its ability. It dries up and loses its ability to grow. Well, sin is the same way. When we hide sin in our lives in the deepest, darkest places of our hearts, it just grows and grows and grows until it takes us over. But when we bring it out into the light, it begins to shrivel. It begins to die. God begins, we begin to allow God to deal with it. We begin to apply the principles of the cross to that sin and say that sin has been dealt with. Jesus accomplished what he accomplished to deal with that sin. When we acknowledge that and deal with that, then we begin to experience new life. We are resurrected. We are given a clean slate and a start over and a do over. And we get to experience the life that Christ wants us to live. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at some things that Jesus had to say about what we do now that we're resurrected. How do we go about living this out? How do we respond to other people? What, what begins to change? What should be our attitude towards other people? You see, because we've dealt with our sin and we're resurrected. And so now we look out at the rest of the world, Right? And we go, oh, well, they're obviously not resurrected yet. So, hmm, guess they're not as special as I am, right? And that's kind of our attitude sometimes. After we've experienced what God's done in our lives, then we look at others who haven't, and we look down on them as if we had anything to do with what happened in our lives, right? Now, I think what I'm hoping for, and as we go through this, is that we begin to see a mindset, that we begin to see how Jesus is ushering in something new. He's wanting for there to be a switch that goes off in our minds. And, and I'll illustrate it this way. Um, there, there's a, a guy who's, who's been coming to church here for a couple of months, um, consider him a friend, and I asked him if I could share this. He told me I could and said I could even say his name, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but he, uh, he, he was, uh, you know, I noticed the first time that, that he and his wife walked into the church, they were just dressed to the nines, you know, like looking good, shirt tucked in, you know, slacks and the dress shirt, and she was wearing a dress, and they were like, you know, there, right, on point, and, which is totally fine. But uh, one thing that they said was they said, and I'm kind of putting two sentences together because I thought it was kind of cool the way they said it. They're like, when we sat in here the first Sunday, we felt so uncomfortable and comfortable at the same time. They're like, we felt uncomfortable because we had dressed 
way over over what most people were wearing. Um, but we also felt comfortable because we knew next week when we came, we could dress like we normally did. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and said they had been looking for somewhere to get, to get plugged in. And uh, they said they went over to McDonald's after the service and sat across the table from each other and said, we don't need to look anymore. This is, this is our home. This is where we're going to be. And here's the part, and I didn't know that at the time, but here's what I'm watching from this perspective, is that the next week that they came in, they were wearing jeans and t-shirts. But the more significant part was, he had put on a short sleeve shirt and was exposing all of his tattoos that are on, that are on his arms. Now, he shared with me on Friday when we spoke that he doesn't like to show the tattoos to people before they get to know him because people will make judgments about who he is based upon the artwork that's on his body. But he said by the, by the second week, he knew he could walk in these doors and be who he was, and he'd be accepted. Now, that, my friends... Um, That is, that's why we're here, <laughs> okay? Um, that is what belonging before believing looks like for us. And that's what I hope and pray, the, I hope that's the mindset that we'll begin to understand as we look at this text, okay? Now, I will say this. I told them on Friday when I was talking to them, I said, you know, um, our philosophy is this, because we can go, when you talk about clothes at church, that's like a hot button issue, right? You know, I mean, that's like music at church. You know, God likes a certain kind of music, apparently. And um, even though he created all of it. But anyway, um, so, you know, you talk about clothes at church, that's a hot button issue. Like, I can remember getting up in the morning and, and go, on Sunday mornings when I was a kid and mom being like, you're going to wear that to church? And I'd be like, you're going to wear that out of the house? Like, well, you know, come on. Um, and, uh, and us having this like battle about what we were going to wear to church. And I would start quote, you know, you know, me with my sarcastic self, start quoting scripture to her. Like, well, you know, when they picked King David, you know, God told uh, Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. What are you going to do about that, mom? <laughs> you know? And she was, the funny thing was she really didn't have anything to say. She just was like, well, here's the bottom line. I'm your mother and you're putting on a shirt. You know, I was like, okay, fine. So, um, but, but the point is we can go so far in the other direction that we're judgmental of people who want to dress up, right? Let, let's, our thing is just do you, do you just do you, okay? You, if you feel comfortable in a top hat and a three-piece suit and a, and a cane, wear it. Come to church wearing it. Nobody's going to care, okay? But if you feel comfortable in shorts, sandals, and a, and a tank top, wear it. Nobody's going to care. If you have 50 holes in your face and, and metal coming out of every part of, of your neck and, and head, I don't care. Okay. The thing is, we want to create an atmosphere that goes, we want to value. Here's the thing. We want to value the things that Jesus values. That's what we want to value. And we think that he cares very little about the outward appearance and cares a whole heck of a lot about what's going on inside. And I hope that we unpack that idea through these verses. We're going to look at Matthew 9, 
9 through 13, and we'll jump right in. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, they're up here. Feel free at any point in, the, in our time to just come up and grab one, but it should be up on the screen as well. And I got a little handout for you that you should have. If you're a note taker, go for it. Verse 9, the first part of verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, now let, me, let me help you understand tax collectors here. Tax collectors are not typically very popular in our culture, right? We don't think, man, I love when that time of year comes around and they take my money. You know, like, love it. That's just my favorite part. I'm donating to the government. I just love that. Um, I know most of us aren't really looking forward to that, Okay. Um, some folks get stuff back and are appreciative of that part, but for folks that have to pay taxes, not a fun time. So that's not the best time of year. And that's not necessarily the funnest, you know, person you, the first person you want to invite to a party is the, the local tax collector. Um, but I will say this, any amount of negative feelings we have for tax collectors, you can multiply it by about a hundred for the way that they felt about tax collectors during this time period. Here's the reason. The Roman Empire had their thumb on the Jewish people, okay? They were uh, lording over them. They had occupied all that area, and they basically had just kind of given the Jews, sort of thrown them a bone to give them their little area, and that was, that was, that was for them, and they just wanted them to do what they said and leave them alone, okay? Well, the Jews felt about the same way about the Romans. They just wanted the Romans to leave them alone, but the Romans, of course, put out a tax. Now, when they did that, some Jewish folks got jobs at the tax office, okay? And they had to go out into their own villages and tax their own people. Now, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish folks would have looked at that as a major, major betrayal, that they were essentially in bed with the enemy. That would have been kind of how it was looked at, okay? And on top of that, they kind of had the reputation for dipping in the pot a little, right? For getting a little bit extra when they took the taxes and dropping a little in their pocket. Now, certainly, I don't want to say that all of them did that, but they definitely had sort of a blanket reputation for being those kind of people. So they, to say that they were disliked is an understatement. They were hated by the Jewish people, um, and they were, they were considered low lives. So Jesus saw this man sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, notice this. The book that we're reading from now is called the book of Matthew, okay? And the tax collector's name in this is Matthew. And there are often times in the Bible where we might be talking about like reading in the book of John and we're talking about John the Baptist and it's not the same John, okay? But this is one of those times where we believe this is the same person, okay? Matthew writing is the Matthew of this story, okay? Now, in the middle of all these healings and all these things that are going on, you've got Matthew saying, okay, okay, Jesus did this for this person, and Jesus did this for this person, and then, man, can you believe this happened? And, and he's like, well, hold on, I told you about that, and we're gonna get back to that in a minute, but hold on just a second while I tell you for just a quick moment. Can, can you pardon me for just a moment while I just tell you quickly what he did for me? Just, just get, can I have a moment? I know he's done some awesome stuff for a lot of people, but give me just a few verses to just tell you what he did for me. In, in Alpha, one of the Alpha kind of things that we talk about 
is uh, having a two-minute testimony, okay? Having just a quick, concise story of what God's done in your life. We, we don't necessarily believe that arguing and debating are necessarily the best method. I don't know that there's been anybody that goes, you know, I'm convinced uh, of the love of Jesus Christ because you just argued me into a corner. Typically, that doesn't happen, right? Typically, you have somebody go, you know, I was, I was at this place in my life and somebody loved me and somebody sacrificed for me and somebody listened to me and somebody allowed me to say all the things I just felt and questions and all. And I just saw something in them that was different. And they shared with me what God had done in their life and I was compelled by it, right? So Matthew here essentially is kind of writing his two-minute testimony. And testimony is nothing more than a story about the difference that Christ has, has made in your life. So Matthew begins his two-minute testimony by telling us this. And then the second part of verse 9 says, Follow me, he told him, which is Jesus. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, there's a commentary that we use around here quite a bit, a guy named N.T. Wright. And uh, he writes uh, books about these scriptures. And I wanted to read this paragraph real quick. It says, think for a moment what life would have been like for Matthew day after day, year after year. Suppose it was you. You would sit in your hot little booth waiting for travelers to pay the toll as they passed from one province into the next. They wouldn't enjoy it and neither would you. Then, then think what it would be like having a young prophet with a spring in his step and God's kingdom in his heart coming past one day and simply asking you to follow him. Yes, it would feel exactly like a healing miracle. Actually, verse 9 hints at something even more. It would be like a resurrection. He arose, says the passage literally, using a regular resurrection word. And followed. Now, now here, here's the concept. Jesus says, follow me. And it says that Matthew got up. Well, what they're saying there is that word got up is the same word, the same, the same idea as he arose, which is the same word, same idea that was used when it talked about Jesus coming back from the grave at the end of Matthew. So essentially, Jesus says, follow me. He speaks those words of invitation to Matthew, and Matthew comes alive, it says. How cool is that when you get underneath that, that, that language barrier and understand that that's what it said? He said, follow me, and he comes alive. That's the sense of what we've got going on there. Verses 10 and 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, let me just stop here for a second. Here's what I love. Jesus brings him back to life spiritually. And the first thing Matthew does is not go to the temple and do some religious activity and stand on his head and twirl around three times and spit to the east and, you know, whatever, do communion or, you know, say 25 Hail Marys or, you know, start a fast or put ashes on his head or nothing like that, okay? The first thing that happens after, after Jesus says, follow me in a relationship, and, and, the, and he, he's come back to life, is that they get around a table in the context of relationship and friendship. And Matthew says, I'm back, I've, come, I've been brought back to life. I want to know Jesus. I want to know this guy. I want to have a relationship, a friendship 
with this guy who just brought me back to life. So it wasn't religious activity. It was, let's get around the table. Let's begin relationship right off the bat. That'll be significant for where we're headed. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, now, now keep this in mind. What's the second thing that, that it mentions? Okay, Matthew's brought back to life. Then Matthew enters into the, to the, to a picture of relationship, friendship. They're sitting around the table and eating together and talking. And not only that, but Matthew says, I'm bringing all my tax collector friends over. You got to meet this guy. This guy says, follow me. Something happens in me. I don't even know what to call it yet. I've got him over here at dinner trying to figure out what in the heck just happened to me. And I don't know what it is, but it's good. And so I got to bring my buddies over. So immediately, he's in relationship, and he's reaching out, just like that. Let's continue. When the Pharisees saw this, now the Pharisees are Jewish uh, religious people. Now, now Matthew and Jesus and all, they're Jewish too, so it's not about Jewish, but they're Jewish religious leaders, okay? When they saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were just baffled. Like, what? I mean, we, these are just the guys that we hated five minutes ago. And these dirty, filthy, rotten people that live out on the street, perhaps, why are you eating with them? Okay, now here's the, here's the problem. The Pharisees practiced believe before belong. They practiced believe before belong, not belong before believe. You see, the Pharisees thought, you got to get it all cleaned up first. You got you to get it all figured out, then we'll accept you. Then we'll accept you. Rather than what Jesus was doing of going, Hey, I'm going to sit around the table with you. I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, that's a family, right? Around the table, that's a family setting, right? I'm going to, I'm going to make you feel like you belong. And we'll work out the believe stuff as we go. Now that's really the heartbeat of Renovation Church, right? But it's not just that. I believe it's the heartbeat of Jesus. And I think we see it here. Verse 12. On hearing this, so Jesus overheard this conversation. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So he's like, okay, I can't, you know, it's kind of one of those moments where he's like, I can't even believe I'm hearing this. Like, it's not the healthy. I mean, I'm, I'm not, if I just wanted, if I just came to hang around with healthy people, what point would that be? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I look at it kind of like this way. Let's say that a fireman rushes to a burning house, okay? There's five members in the family. Three of them have already escaped. And when the fireman gets there, he says, oh, he goes to the three of them. Oh, I'm so glad you guys are out. And uh, that's wonderful. You know, you guys are really resourceful and smart and um, that's great. Um, you know, I'll give a call. Why don't we, first thing you probably need to do is call your insurance company and make sure they know. And, and, you know, the fireman's just walking them all through the next steps of what they need to do while two people are burning in the house. Right? That's, com to us, that's completely irrational. Right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. That fireman would lose his job 
in about 30 seconds. Okay? And Jesus is saying, hey, I came. I didn't come. I'm bringing, I'm bringing a solution. Why would I come to those who already think they don't have any problems? Why would I come to those that think they have it all figured out? I'm coming to those who are raising their hands going, yes, I am screwed up. I need help. Something's not working in my life. Yes, I don't know who you are or what you're doing, but if you propose to have some kind of solution for me, I'm all ears. He's going, that's that's the people I'm, I'm coming to. The people that are sick and know it. People that are sick and want a solution. The people that are sick and want to be healed. The people that are sick and are willing to listen to something that could change their life. Not the religious people standing up thinking they got it all figured out. Verse 13, but go and learn what this means. So he's going to give them a teaching moment. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he's quoting the book of Hosea from the Old Testament. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I want a relationship, not a religion. He's saying, I'm I'm not looking for religion. I don't need religion. I'm not bringing religion. I'm not bringing a new sacrificial system. I'm bringing a relationship that can change your life. That's what I want to bring. In Hosea, when it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, words like mercy and love and forgiveness and kindness, those are words that are, that are foundational to a healthy relationship, right? So he's saying, I want relationship, not just religious activity, I couldn't care less about your religious resume. Here's the thing. Think about this. If he gets your sacrificial works, then that's all he gets. Right? If if, if he, if you decide I'm going to do religious activity and that's what I'm giving to God. Well, then at the end of the day, when that activity is over, that's all he got. But if he gets your heart Through relationship, he gets your heart, then he gets all of you. He gets all of you. Mark 7, 20 through 23, which says, Jesus went on, when what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. He's saying these things, the, the, you know, square one, ground zero, root issue, the root of all of everything in your life is your heart. So why in the world do I care about getting your external activity when your heart is rotten? He doesn't care about behavior modification. That's not what he's in the business of doing. He's in the business of grabbing a hold of your heart and changing your life from the inside out because that's the only way that the life that you live and the things you do will consistently be changed is if your heart begins to change. He just said your heart is where all the junk comes from. So I want your heart because from there I can change everything about your life and make you rich spiritually in ways that you never dreamed of. 
You see, here's the thing, guys. Jesus is greater than religion. And we've played this religious game. We've just played it too long. That record is worn out. Just the fact that it's a record should tell us that it's old. All right? It's old and worn out. And we're going to go even a little further next week into that old and new thing. But for right now, I I want us to take a look at this idea that Jesus is greater than religion. That religion is not what he's called us to, but, but himself is what he's called us to. And I'm paraphrasing some of these things from a message called Why I Hate Religion by a guy named Mark Driscoll, okay? But this is some paraphrases. Religion says, if you obey, then God will love you. If you obey, then God will love you. So that's like, if you check off the list, if you do the things you're supposed to do, then God will love you. Now, here's what Jesus says. As opposed to that, Jesus says this, real simply, real plainly, I love you. Period. There's, there's no condition. You see, saying, if you obey, then God will love you, is like me looking at my little girls and saying, all right, girls. Now, they're, and they're six and four. All right, girls. Now, if you obey me, I'll be your daddy. Okay? If you obey me, I'll be your daddy. If you don't obey me, I'm not going to be your daddy. Okay? Well, that's absurd, right? Instead... I look at them and go, I love you. Like, I love you just because I love you. Like, I, there's not even a reason that I love you. I just love you. I think you're great. I, I just, every, you know, I look at you and I think, oh, you just, I just love you, right? But I want you to obey me. There's going to be times when it's going to be hard to obey me. And there's going to be times when I'm going to have to do things that you're not going to like. Because I know what's better for you than you do. And I'm gonna ha- you're going to have to obey me. But I want you to obey me because you trust and believe in how much your daddy loves you. That's why I want you to obey me. And it's no different with God. He's your, he, he is your God regardless. He loves you regardless. When you obey and when you don't obey. But he wants to bring you to a place where you get this, where you want to obey. Where your heart changes to the point that you go, I trust in your love for me, so I want to obey you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Just like when a little kid grabs a pile of dirt at the park and throws it in their mouth like it's food. And they're going, and, and my, you know, the little moms at the park are like, no! You know, like, and they're just grabbing, pulling the dirt out of their mouth and spraying it out. And and the kids are just screaming like you're killing them, you know. They don't understand why they shouldn't eat dirt. But mama does, right? And mama's going to do whatever it takes to get that negative situation out of their grasp. Even if the kid doesn't like it. Well, God, our Father, is going to do it too. And there's going to be times we don't understand. But if we come to a place where he has our heart, our heart, not not the outside stuff, our heart, then we trust his love for us and we obey because we trust that he loves us. 
Next thing. Religion says there are two kinds of people in the world. Good people and bad people. Religion says, okay, we're going to divide this room up. All right. We got some good people. We got some bad people. We're going to get the good people over here and they just need to stick with the good people. The bad people, y'all just need to stick with the bad people. Okay. We're going to have these two groups, good people, bad people. If you're good, then God loves you and you get to go to heaven and you get to do all this. If you're bad, well, too bad, so sad, not your dad, right? So we divide the world that way. But the problem is that Jesus says there are two kinds of people in the world. Bad people who don't repent and bad people who do repent. That, that, that's, that, there's no division really. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a level playing field. All right. So there's no room for, well, I'm a Christian and uh, I like Tim Tebow and, uh, you know, I'm, I do all the right things and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like I, I, I look down on everyone who doesn't know God and, well, they're just bad people. Well, there's no room for that. We're all bad people. Let's be honest, guys. Just look inside your life. We're all screwed up. You know, I mean, just be honest about it. We're flawed. We're flawed. So there's people that recognize that we're, that there's those of us that recognize we're flawed and go, man, I really need a solution. I, I need to turn. I need to, repenting is just a 180 from my way of living and thinking and, and all the sin and junk in my life to, to Jesus who goes, I will be your solution. I will be your fulfillment. I will be your purpose. And, and, and so we just turn and recognize that. The only division is those that have recognized it and those that haven't. But the playing field is level. Now, there's some pushback on this, I'm sure, of folks that go, well, come, you know, come on, Walt. I mean, I, we're all bad people. Like, I mean, doesn't that sound a little, you know, you're talking about religion. Doesn't that sound kind of religious? You know, like, we're all bad people. I mean, come on, be, let's, let's be realistic about this thing. Well, let's, let's look at it this way. I'm going to name some names and pictures up on the screen. And I want you to just rank them from, from floor to ceiling in goodness, okay? The floor being they're not good at all and the ceiling being they're really good. They're good folks. And, and then kind of, we're gonna kind of put ourselves on that line. The, the first person is Mother Teresa, okay? Where, where does Mother Teresa kind of fit on that line? Floor being bad, ceiling being good, okay? Mother Teresa. How about uh, Angelina Jolie? You know, she's adopted like 2.4 million children um, and... Uh, you know, she, she kind of fits somewhere on that line. Like she's done a lot of good things, but she's still kind of strange. So you're not really sure. Like, you know, but she's, she's somewhere up there, right? You know, um, and then you got Howard Stern. Where would Howard Stern fit on there? You know, he's somewhere along that line from somewhere from the floor to the ceiling. Um, <laughs> and then our favorite reality star, Kim Kardashian. You know, where does, where does Kim fit on that, on that line? And then, uh, and then how about Hitler? Where do you think Hitler would fit? Where, where would he go on that line? And then how about your mom? Where's your mom fit on that line, you know? Um, some mom jeans, you know? Um, wh- where does mom fit on that line? So you kind of got that mentally, like where they are. 
Now, now plug yourself into that line. You know, where are you? Anything? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm under Mother Teresa. Like, you know, I can't even compare it all that, you know. Other, under Mother Teresa. And like, I, I can't quite get where I am as far as the Angelina Jolie thing. Because like, she's done a lot of good, but she wore like blood around her neck. And that was weird. And so it's like, I, you know, somewhere around there. And then, you know, well, I'm certainly I'm above Howard Stern because he's just, you know, He's just terrible. And, and um, Hitler, we're not even going to talk about. But, and then mom, you know, mom's up there above you, right? I mean, you know, it should be. And, and so you're just kind of going through this ranking system. Regardless of where you feel like you, what, like you, you, you belong, here's the problem. The ceiling is, is the highest. And I think we'd agree Mother Teresa's probably up there at the ceiling. But the problem is that the standard is the sky. The standard's the sky. The ceiling isn't even the standard. You see, Jesus is the sky. He was perfect. His standard is perfection. And so anything less than the sky is not good enough. And let's be honest, not good enough is a fancy PC way of saying bad. So that levels the playing field. He's saying anything under the sky is bad and needs a new solution, including Mother Teresa. Religion says, a religion cares about your birth. Especially back in this time, they think about being Jewish and that was a big deal and you had to, you know, go, you had to do all the Jewish things and do all that. But we're not much different, right? I mean, you know, you say, well, I come from a Christian family and my dad was a pastor and my granddad was a pastor or such and such was a deacon. And, you know, I, I yeah, I'm, I, I'm a Christian and I, I'm, yeah, I'm religious and I, I come from a religious family. I mean, that's kind of like going into McDonald's and saying, I'm in McDonald's and I must be a Big Mac. You know, like, yeah, I go to church. You know, my family goes to church and I'm a Christian. Well, I'm standing in a garage, so I'm a car. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, I mean, that sounds silly, but it's kind of the truth, right? Religion cares about your birth. Jesus cares about your new birth. Because, see, Jesus doesn't look at all the family stuff. He looks at you as an individual and says, where, where do you stand with this as an individual? He looks at you in light of who you are. Not, not your birth, not your lineage, not your genealogy. Who are you? Religion, finally, religion says it's all about what you do. Religion says it's all about doing the right things. You know, not doing this and doing this and not doing that. And you better not do that. Or if you do that, you're going to get kicked out. And if you do this, then you better watch out. You know, this sort of thing, right? Religion is like Santa Claus. You know, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. He's going to get you. You better do the right things. You're not going to get a Christmas present. Right? That's kind of religion. And I like Santa Claus. I, I do want to get Christmas presents, so I don't, I don't want to go on the record as saying I don't like him. Um, but, uh, but Jesus says that it's all about what he has done. It's not, what about, not, not, not about what we do. It's about what he has done. He says, I have accomplished 
your forgiveness. I've set you free. I'm offering you a relationship. I'm not giving you a religion. He didn't die for a religion. He died for a relationship with you and me. And we got to get that wrapped around our hearts. Here's the big idea for today. Jesus didn't come to set people straight. He came to set people free. Therefore, we are not called to set people straight. We're called to set people free. You know, it's like that Facebook status and you've typed it all in and you've got those word grenades just ready, right? And you're like, man, this is gonna level them. Like when I post this, it's gonna blow them up, dude. Like it's gonna be so good and they're gonna feel so stupid and like I'm so much smarter than them. I can't wait till all these people comment on this and tell me how right I am and how smart I am. I'm setting them straight this time. And there's been many times, I'm just being honest. Here's the pastor, guys. There's been many times when I've typed all that in and I'm thinking, man, I got them. This is gonna, this, oh, it's gonna be good. It's gonna feel good. This is gonna feel good, okay? And that phrase will come to my mind. That's actually a quote from a pastor that hired me years ago to be a youth pastor. He said, you're not called to set people straight. You're called to set them free. And that, I can hear his little voice. He's actually, he's actually passed on now, but I can hear his voice in my mind saying, Walt, does this little post you're about to put, does it set people straight or does it set people free? Are you bringing freedom with this text message or are you setting somebody straight? Are you about to say something that's setting them straight? Are you going the Pharisee religious route here? Or are you speaking freedom? And so I delete it or backspace out. And I know that at the end of the day, it wouldn't have set anybody free. So here's the next step. I want you to ask yourself this question. In what area that this talk presents do I need to ask the Holy Spirit to change my mind and heart. Well, you know, what, just even looking back at the religion says, Jesus is greater than religion, little less there. What area there do you need to ask the Holy Spirit to change your mind and your heart? What about this message do you need to just zero in on and go, Holy Spirit, uh, I need you to rewrite this truth on my heart because I'm, I'm, I'm off track here. We're never too young to capture it and we're never too old to relearn it. The second thing, write out your two-minute testimony and share it with someone who needs to hear it. Like Matthew, spend some time writing about what is it that Christ has done in your life. You see, debate doesn't win people, but you can share your story. Guess who, who is the only expert on your story? You. So they can't argue, no, it didn't. Well, I'm telling you it, that happened. I'm telling you, Jesus did this for me. I'm telling you, this was me, and now this is me now. He, I gave him my heart, and here's the difference that it's made. No, uh Okay, well, just watch for a while. And so you are the only expert on your story. So think about, write out. I think there's a little space on the, on the handout there. Write out your two-minute story and share it with somebody that you think needs to hear it. And then finally... If you're thinking, man, I am so intrigued by this. This is refreshing. This is different. This is, 
you know, or maybe you're thinking, I don't know about this. This is, uh, this is way out there. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't even know if I believe in this Jesus stuff at all. I want to, this is my step for you. If you want to learn more about Jesus instead of religion, why don't you join us for the Alpha Course? Why don't you come Wednesday night? Come Wednesday night, free dinner. I mean, at the end of the day, free dinner, right? Come to the Alpha Course, six o'clock on Wednesday night, and check it out. The point of it is to introduce you to Jesus in an environment where you can wrestle with him a little. And the truth and the idea of who he is but not to sell you. We do not sell religion in this boat shop. All right? We sell a relationship and it's free. You know, as the, as the band comes, we can kind of imagine what it might have been like for Jesus to be standing with his friends at this table years ago and, and recognizing in their eyes that they just not, aren't quite sold yet on what's going on. They don't exactly understand. And he's thinking, you know, as, as he breaks the bread and he tells them, this, this bread, I'm breaking this bread. This bread is symbolizing my body that, that's going to be broken for you. And as he pours that wine, he says, this wine is a symbol of my blood that is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And essentially what he was saying to them was, guys, I'm, I'm about to show you. I'm, I'm about to show you. I'm not going to just talk about it. I'm going to show you the great links that I will go to set you free to the point of giving my own life. I don't care about religion. I don't, Jesus would have never given his life for a religious system. But he'd give his life for you. He'd give his life for you. Because he wants to have a relationship with you. And let me tell you something, guys. As Jake said in his video, it can be plagued sometimes with questions. he says I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you and he went what this table represents is that he went to the greatest length to show you that that's a father that's a king that's a deity that I can follow as the servers come I want you to think about the questions that I've asked here at the end. And what is it that you need to zero in on? Um, what is it that the Holy Spirit is showing you you need to focus on? Um, and spend some time uh, asking him to help you sort of rewrite the truth there on your heart that, that you would re-understand some of these things. For some of you, your response needs to be picking up that orange card and making a decision. Filling it out, dropping it in the basket, and coming to Alpha and checking it out. That, that's the only decision you need to make today. It's coming and checking that out. And maybe you're not even sure you buy it yet. That's okay. Fill out the card, walk through the door, 
give it a chance. You're going to be accepted and, and, and right where you are, that's for sure. And the food will be great. Fill it out and come check it out. We're going to have folks on either side that are going to be available to pray with you. If you are, are sick or there's something going on in your life that you need healing for, they're going to be able to pray with you um, and, and they would love to do so. Take a moment um, before you come and really think uh, and pray about what God is saying to you. We've got baskets where you can drop your gifts, but more importantly, your connect cards and your alpha cards can go on either of these sides. Um, won't you come? All are, all are welcome to come.